This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by James Sykin and Isabel Hardman. And Boris Johnson's reset has begun. Today, the Prime Minister has given a speech on housing policy. James, to to kick things off, could you just talk us through these new announcements and perhaps give us an indication of how fully formed they are? So there are kind of three big new policies here. One is a right to buy for housing association tenants. But that is going to have to be uh, negotiated with the housing association. So, you know, the government can't just do this by diktat. They are going to have to come to an agreement. And the government have been promising this since 2015. So there is that question of how they get a deal and also a question of how it's going to be funded. The government say that, you know, today's speech isn't going to require any more government spending. But I understand that Michael Gove is of the view that this money should not come out of his department budget because he's also meant to be doing levelling up and all sorts of things which which cost money. So there, there is that question there. Then the second one is uh, attempt to change the benefit system to make it more, in the words of one um, Johnson and I, kind of less anti-ownership than it is now. So the argument goes that if you've saved in a lifetime ISA or a right to buy ISA, you should be able to allow to accumulate savings and still claim benefits. And also that you should be able to use your housing benefit to pay your mortgage at the moment on the grounds that, you know, why, why does it make sense for people to use their housing benefit to pay a buy some buy to let landlord's mortgage but not their own? Uh, and then the, the, the third policy is a review of the mortgage lending rules. Anyhow, I think that was, which might well be a good idea on the, on the, on the view that the post-2008 crash rules might be too restrictive. Now, Boris Johnson was talking... Now, again, this is something the government can't just do itself. It has to get the Bank of England, the Prudential Regulation Authority, to, to all get on board with this. Boris Johnson was talking in the speech about 98% mortgages, I think a clear indication of where he would like this review to end up. I think 98% mortgages might be too much of a stretch. I think maybe 95 would be more viable as a as a uh, you know to reduce the deposit size from 10 percent to five but you know this is this is the ballpark of, of what we're talking about i mean the point about all these ideas is they're all worthy of consideration but today it does feel like a bit like the government wanted to have a big speech to try and move the agenda on after monday and that these ideas could have done a little bit longer in the oven isabel do you agree with that yeah, I think rather than it being an, an oven situation, it's more of a sort of re-microwaving old takeaway meals because this was something that was uh, signed off by the Cameron government in 2015 and then ended up, uh, the, the right to buy bit, uh, and then ended up on ice when Theresa May was Prime Minister and so is really being reheated by Boris Johnson. And Yes, for some people, I think it will make a lot of sense because a mortgage is cheaper than rent. Obviously, you build up equity in the property as opposed to just giving it to um, a private landlord. But I'm not sure whether in a cost of living crisis, what a lot of people are thinking is, God, I could really do with a mortgage right now. And so I'm, I'm not entirely sure that it's going to kind of captivate the imagination in the way that it did in the 1980s and this is supposed to iron out 
the anomaly that was created by um, the transfer of council housing stock to housing associations where actually once that stock transfer had taken place the new tenants going into these new housing association properties did not have the right to buy so it is in a sense straightening up the system for the sort of the 21st century social housing picture as opposed to what was around in the 1980s which was just council run council owned properties but I I just I mean if if this is your big relaunch policy it's not very exciting. James the government has said that for every um, right to buy social housing which is bought they will replace it by building another one but this obviously leans into the wider conversation about planning and that's something the government has walked back from quite heavily if you think about the initial plans of the most radical planning shake-up then you had by-elections where the Lib Dems made gains and it was scaled back because lots of MPs in southern seats were uh, very worried about it. Does this do anything to really deal with that problem or actually is this more a separate issue? There are are a few measures on the supply side which 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 at the at the very margins will help. It's going to become easier to convert disused agricultural buildings in national parks and areas of outstanding natural beauty into housing. And it will be easier to get permission for kind of small sites with just six houses on them. But this is nowhere near enough for the scale of the challenge to reverse the decline in ownership among the under 40s. What you need is proper radical planning reform, which the government has now backed away from. You have to find a way to build more houses. And I think that, you know, if you want a bit of where where the Tories should be prepared to, you know, to, to break maybe with some of their own ideological views, one thing they should, I think, mean, should be prepared to consider is direct commissioning of housing. Because, I mean, the only way that you can deal with the land banking problem, the oligopoly of the big developers, is for the state to start, you know, taking land that it owns, giving itself planning permission, and then directly commissioning builders to build homes on there and get them onto the market as soon as possible. I think that is the kind of radicalism you need. But because of worries about you know people not wanting more houses built near them, the, the government isn't prepared to go near that. I think there's also a problem, which is that talking to people in the housing sector today, uh, they've been trying to work out sort of tactically whether they have a fight on this or not. And... There are lots of reasons why they wouldn't want to have a fight, but one of them is they just don't think it's going to happen because they've come to the conclusion that Boris Johnson thinks that he's achieved a policy merely by announcing it, which is why you know, he bangs on about reforming social care. He's done absolutely nothing to reform social care. He's introduced a tax which is going to the NHS, and that's his version of reforming social care. So they look which at that... eventually go to... Well, I mean, in theory, theory, yeah, in in the same way as I might eventually run a marathon in under three hours, but, you know, potentially not as well. James, let's talk about the wider reset then. As Isabel's outlined, one of the problems is, uh, I think it's just the housing sector. There are also MPs who see Boris Johnson and answer policy and don't believe it's necessarily going to go all the way through. And the fact that, as you touched on, some of these feel a little bit half-baked for now isn't going to add to this idea of there being certainty. Do you get the sense MPs are calming down? I had one MP say to me the mood was a bit better, but is it simply the case the rebels are just buying their time because nothing's about to happen? I, I suspect, the famous last words, that the mood will be relatively calm until the by-elections. That is the next flashpoint. And I think that, you know, I think also some of the rebels have realised that it was it is counterproductive for them to be popping up now and saying, well, we're going to change the rules so that we have another vote on him. Because 
Obviously, if they do that, they enable people to say, well, you're just not accepting the, the result of that, of that ballot. But I don't think those underlying tensions and problems have gone away. And one little thing I've been struck by just wandering around Parliament is, you know, you can now see which way Tory MPs voted almost by who they're walking with around the corridors. And that, that, that I think, is a, is, is a worry, which is that you are getting this sense of, of two parties. It's like sides in a divorce, isn't it, basically? Um, and I think that, you know, they, they need to be wary on that one. I also think that, you know, what happens in these by-elections is, is, is a big question now, because... I think, you know, remember after Cheshire and Amersham, as, as you said, Katie, you know, the Tories had a 16,000 majority there. That was lost. Planning reform was dropped because that was thought to be what had cost them the seat. If they were to lose Tiverton, where the majority is 24,000, much larger, what do people decide? I mean, apart from the obvious, what do people decide to blame that on and what, what goes? I also think another thing to think about is, you know, even if you leave aside the rule change, and I thought it was quite, I thought Graham Brady picked his words very carefully on um, Times Radio earlier when he was talking about it. Even if you leave that aside, I think the fact that there'd been another confidence vote 12 months from now, if it hasn't already happened by then, is pretty much locked on. So remember that Boris Johnson is also governing with this this spectre hanging over him that he can't afford to lose 32 more MPs. And I mean, that, that also acts as a check on how far you can go. Because, you know, anything that, you know, five or six of the MPs who voted for you in, on Monday night don't like is, a, is, is now basically a no-go. And as well, what about the suggestion from some particularly bold allies of Boris Johnson that actually it's all fine because technically they can't do everything for 12 months and at that point the Prime Minister could just go for an election? Well, I mean, possibly, but I think the can't-do-anything-for-12-months problem goes further than the rebels not being able to oust Boris Johnson. There's also the possibility that he can't do anything for 12 months and can't get anything vaguely radical or indeed helpful to to many voters through the Commons, as we've just discussed on planning. And James, do you take those election threats particularly seriously? Because on Monday there were some 2019ers who really thought... I mean, there were some who even seemed to believe that Boris could have lost the vote and then called an election, um, um, not as the leader of the party. I genuinely think that anyone who thought that that was a realistic <laughs> option um, should Shouldn't probably be an MP? consider a different career than, than politics. I, I, I would treat very sceptically the idea that you could go to the country without the confidence of your own side. That That is that is clearly... Given Boris Johnson was forecast for, to lose his own seat. That's clearly for the birds. I think that, I, I think an election within the next 12 months, again, you know, who knows what might happen, but at the moment I would put that as a kind of vanishingly small prospect. I think that, you know, there is... I think there is a slightly different argument, slightly subtler argument, right, which you can imagine being used 12 months from now, which is, you know, the rules are not changed which is people saying, we can't have another vote now, it's too close to when an election is going to be, all you're going to do is end up wounding the Prime Minister, and so he kind of hobbles into that election. You know, so wait, stay your hand, don't do it now. I mean, there will be other Tory MPs who say, look, you know, it's, you know look, at, look at the ruthlessness that Australian political parties have displayed. They have sometimes junked their leaders just you know, months before election day, and it's done the trick for them. It could do the trick for us. And so I, I think ultimately what Tory MPs will be guided by is which course of action they think is most likely to save their own seat. And I think that is, that is ultimately what will decide Boris Johnson's fate, is whether people decide, you know, when this next vote comes, are they more or less likely to hold on to their seats with him in charge or not in charge? 
Thank you, James. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you for listening.